the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. Listening to the Baked in Science podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn from Bakerpedia, the world's largest online depository of technical baking information. Today, I will be interviewing Daphna Hafkin Frankel from Bakto Flavors and Tegan Basaran from Chefmaster. And we will be discussing the challenges of having to formulate with natural colors and flavors. As you may know, Baked in Science comes free to you because of our sponsors. So a shout out to IBIE, the sponsor of this podcast, International Baking Industry Expo, or IBIE, delivers a world of benefits for the baking industry in one streamlined event. Every three years, you have a great opportunity to discover the latest and greatest in baking. This year, IBIE is on September 7th to the 11th. Come join me in Las Vegas! To capitalize on the big opportunities only found at IBIE, go to IBIE2019.com today. Well, are you ready for a fascinating conversation on vanilla? Here's Daphna. Today I have Daphna Hefkin Frankel of Bacto Flavors. She is the owner and general manager of Bacto Flavors. Welcome, Daphna. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. Daphna, you have an exciting background. You are a biologist and a food scientist. Can you tell us a little bit about your past? So I'm actually originally from Israel. So I went to Nalal High School, uh, which was almost a boys' high school, an agriculture school. Then I went to the Hebrew U to study agriculture and uh, plant pathology. Then I came here to study food science. At that time, I majored in uh, toxicology. Interesting. Food science and toxicology. Why? (laughs) Because we thought at that time that uh, toxicology is very important, all all the delineates that came... But I couldn't even get a job in toxicology because uh, it was not important at that time. It started being important later. Right. So how does a toxicology slash food scientist find her way into the flavor field? Well, I got a project to work on uh, from Elan about vanilla. And uh, after that, I got a job in David Michael, which is today IFF. And that's where I learned most of what I know today. In uh, 2003, I left and I started my own company. I started with uh, teaching about vanilla, running a congress, a professional congress about vanilla, and do consulting. And um, as time went by, I, I, I started in Bacto to, to sell and introduce vanilla extract, all kind of vanilla product, and other natural flavor to small baking industry, ice cream industry, and stores. Right. So I find it very interesting that you just graduate and just plunge yourself into vanilla. So usually people take a few steps here and there before they find a true passion in Korea. But you like just found it and you just dove into it. And from the conversations I've had with you, I realized why you do that. 
You know, you're truly passionate about this field. And I personally don't know anything about vanilla. And、um, could you tell our listeners, you know, what is so unusual about this plant? It's one of the top flavors in baking. Why is it only grown in a few countries around the world? That's a big question. So I try slowly. Let, let's summarize <clears throat> it. Where most of the people, <laughs> most of the people that work with vanilla, are passionate about this. There's something about the the smell, the taste, the use, the stories, the place it grows. It's fascinating, and we always want to learn more. I didn't tell you before, but I also involve in basic. Science in on vanilla, and there's a lot to be done. So vanilla is a tropical orchid. Many people don't know it's an orchid. It's a different kind of orchid because it's climbing.、And、right. So you have a plant here behind you that's a vanilla orchid, and it looks unusual, right? Because unlike many orchids that come from a particular center, this one is just like looks like a creeper. It is a vine, like a vine, like an ivy. Oh, okay, so like a vine sh- ivy. Yeah, everyone、okay. can see pictures、uh, somewhere. It is an interesting plant in a way that、uh, it's a tropical plant, so it's growing around、uh, the equator, 25 degrees Celsius、uh, all year round. It needs rain, but not a lot of rain, and it needs shade. So it's very picky. Is that why it's not grown around the world? Right,、uh, <laughs> it can grow. It's going to grow here in the room, but it's never going to flower. <laughs> <laughs> then after two to three years, it's flowering, and then it's hand pollination. All orchid has the same problem.、Wow. You need to pollinate them. And in the old、uh, original places that vanilla came from, they had the pollinator, a bee, which I did see last time I went to Mexico. I didn't、oh, see、nice. it before. It's a small bee that can get in and、uh, pollinate it. Basically,、um, they just have to break. It's called rastolium. It's a small part of the leaf, and then they. The female and the male can get, you know,、oh, together, which they、yeah. can otherwise. And all all orchids are like that.、Really? So then, after you pollinate it, then you have a beans and need to be it's green and it's flavorless and it only has precursor. Need to be on the vine for seven to nine months, and then when、wow. you pick it up, it has to go to go through another process, what we call curing, which turn green beans not flavored to cured beans with a flavor that. We we learn to love, and then you can eat the beans as it is. So you have to extract it. So knowledge is very very important in vanilla, and also you have to be passionate about this to stick to the end. That's true. I, I see where the passion comes from. But can you answer my question on why can't we grow more vanilla around the equator? We can. We can. Vanilla has some issue with instability in prices. So farmers. Like let's say in Brazil or even Mexico or India, they will go into this business. They have to wait a while to make money, and then the price go down. So they kind of shy away from it. It's easy for them to grow citrus. They know they always can sell the citrus. But when the vanilla price is going up, the quality going down, and the use go down too. So really, it's not the weather conditions; it's the demand and supply issue. Rather, it's it's unstable, it's unreliable. It's not demand and supply most of the time. It come to it eventually. It、right. is basically the flexibility, the instability. Industry wants stability. The price is an issue, but they want stability, and there is no stability in this business. 
So vanilla is how much per kilo right now? Today, um, extraction grade vanilla beans from Madagascar can cost uh, between 400 to 450. And it went down, actually. Really? Okay. So to me, as a farmer, I would like go out there and and really farm this because it's so high. I mean, what's stopping people from doing that? The farmer is only the first step. So the farmers sell the beans. So if they sell the beans for $50 a kilo green beans, in a good day, you need one to five ratio. So Already the bean costs $250 because oh. the beans need to be dry. Right. But if the beans are not such a good quality, it can be one to seven. So the farmers used to get a dollar or two for beans. Oh, no So why would way. they want to stay in dry? So the crisis, really? the crisis happened because there's no sustainability in the farmer side. Now there's no sustainability in the buyer side. So... We can't buy beans for $25 That's or even true. 50 It has to be more than that. I mean, if we buy beans for $100, that will be fair to everyone. That's true. But if you buy them for 400 what can you do with it? So where's that 100 to 400 Where, where does that go to? That's, that's go- there's a lot of, uh, the way vanilla grown, especially in Madagascar, there's about 80,000 farmers, and each one has few plants, 10 plants, 100 plants. So they sell it to someone that called collector. And they, oh, br- the they middle bring man. the middleman. But if you don't have a huge plantation, which they don't, you can have all this curing facility to be really done properly That's for few true. beans. So they sell it to them one middleman. And there is, there is another middleman. There's lots of middlemen. But the problem started today with the farmer that charge around $50 a kilo green oh, beans wow. that now, now we stuck yeah. and then the farmer they may not make a lot of money because they don't have a lot of beans but they basically for them it's it's good income that is true that is true so tell me a little bit more about the curing process because i think that's where your specialty right. is your, your right. science you know yeah bring me through the steps of curing okay what happens so when someone gets a green bean the curing process divides into four major things. The killing, the sweating, the drying, and conditioning. The killing is we take the beans and we, let's take Madagascar style, which is a good one. You put them in hot water. It has to be real temperature, like 63 degree for a minute or two, and not just maybe. And then basically you kill the tissue. But you don't kill all the enzymes. And the second step is the sweating, which is really enzymatic hydrolysis, because all this precursor, like we take for example, vanillin, come as glucovanillins attached to it as sugar. And during this sweating process, it's break it. And after, it shouldn't take more than a few days, because people think it does, but the enzymes are dead after that. They only last for a little, a little bit of time. You have other enzymes at that time, but this is the main main one. You have oxidation enzyme, you have uh, breaking the cell wall, you have pectinase, mm-hmm. you have a bunch of them, but they all last for a few days. And uh, also in high temperature, because they survive the high yeah, temperature, yeah, yeah. then you have to dry it. Oh, and, they, and they do sun drying, and that's a problem. It takes forever, and we lose a lot of flavor. Oh, yeah, wow. I developed a, pro, a, a program that they implement in some places that you can do it faster, right. like in hours or something. To me, that whole enzymatic biological process is uh, something that anyone can manipulate to make a better flavor of vanilla. Is Absolutely. that true? Absolutely. But, but the main thing, you have to start with good beans. 
Okay. That's the key. If you let you... What do you mean by good beans? You, you let your beans on the vine long enough to develop the maximum amount of flavor. Don't pick them up young. And if you start with the maximum, with the fruit, has, it's a fruit, it's a bean, the maximum amount of precursor, then you can expect to have a very good quality bean. So patience on the farmer's side as well. <laughs> it's very hard because, because it's so expensive. There's stealing, there's this, there's oh all kinds of, of, of things yeah. around, around it. But I want to believe that it's not the main event, but some farmers have a hard time with this too. So that's they have true. to watch it. and So they pick it up early and that's not good. Oh, wow. So the, the prices go up, the quality go down, only in vanilla. So quality checkpoints, the green beans. The curing process. Yeah. Anything else? Then you have to dry them in the curing process to a way that they will be stable. I mean, they're not going to get moldy. They have to be dry. They have to have all the phenols and all the flavor that also preservative. So now you have to dry them, but you don't want to dry them too much because they sell by weight. And also you lose flavor, but you don't want them to be too wet. So... There's two type of beans now, after they get the curing. They, there's more than two, but two major ones, the gourmet ones and the extraction one. Most beans go for extraction. The gourmet is the one that they look fat and, and long and wet. That's what the people like. The hmm. extraction one has to be around 20% moisture, wow. and they go for extraction. Wow. So now the extraction is also can be different. We do have rules and standard for identity for vanilla, but... The way to do the extraction, the temperature, the mixing, how long, the time, you can do whatever you want. The amount of bean per liquid is what is standard here. Uh, it's about 10% beans to liquid, but, uh, you know, everyone can find the standard for identity. And that's that's what you call... One fold. One that fold. would be fun fold. That's what I learned today, yeah, is yeah, one that's yeah. one fold. And most vanilla, <laughs> most vanilla sold is, uh, is one fold. One so, is to ten. Right. Yeah, so okay. about 10% beans in it. And uh, then you have the, the extract. So the extract is different. It depends on the type of the beans. Beans that coming from Mexico, coming from Madagascar, from India, or from Papua New Guinea, or, they will have different profile. Even though they are the same genetic, they will have different profile because of the growing condition and because of the curing. So take a step back. I want to ask about the curing process. So that is one middleman, right? So... There must be different people in that area that does different curing techniques. Is that right? Yes, but uh, in most countries, they have their own style. Oh, no, I don't really? think it's that much different. But I was uh, wondering if that contributes to I'm sure the difference they do. in... They in, should do too. Okay, it should. In certain countries, I'll give you an example. There's a lot of study done that you can kill it by freeze it. Freezing oh, it. Yeah, but that's I, right. we don't like the, the beans after that because when you freeze it, you actually keep a lot more enzymatic activity later. The beans will have green note that oh. they don't have it when you put it in hot water for 63 degrees. Interesting. So it's easy to put liquid nitrogen there or put it in minus 80. It does work, but, but uh, the extract later is a little bit different. So everything can change. Every little thing can result in different extract. Wow. Every little thing. That's just amazing. But with the different curing processes, does that change the price of what you get? No. No? No. Okay, so 
pretty much. <laughs> if that doesn't change the price, so the person who does it fastest and the cheapest gets to sell more, right? right? right. <laughs> uh, that, that part of game I understand. So what makes vanilla so expensive then? Exactly. When you get a gallon of one full extract, how much is that? It's around $200 a gallon. Oh. A little bit less. A Why is that so expensive? Price. Because the beans are expensive. Water and alcohol are not that expensive. It's really on the beans. An organic one even costs more. Beans from one country will cost more than from other because the beans are more expensive, the extract is more expensive. So tell me, what's the difference between conventional and organic in terms of organic? I mean, methods. Well, I'm not an, uh, an organic uh, specialist, but you have to grow it with uh, no spraying, uh, no feeding, just all you know what organic people want. They have to certify it. The alcohol has to be organic, the water has to be clean, and the facility needs to be to be certified. In, in vanilla, it's not that difficult because most of the people in this country yeah, don't spray. Yeah, that's what I thought too. They don't spray. <laughs> but I mean, wasn't it really conventional and organic yeah. other than the price? But like, you know, vanilla orchid growing, to me, looks very organic, you know? Yeah, but there's still um, more and more people feed the vine. We need to feed the vanilla if we want them to that's continue to produce. Right, it's right. It's very hard. Right. It's very hard that's to true. expect the soil to produce it. Vanilla has a very shallow root so oh. they can't go very far so right. people in uh, some good farmer they will constantly put uh, mulching on it right it's organic and organic material more and more but there is a limit what you can get around so we wouldn't have all this uh you know flour for baking if you wouldn't feed the corn That's or true. the wheat right right so good vanilla comes from good soil or fertilizers which okay. is we have pretty much fertilize. different with the organic so organic ones would smell differently then different aromas mm, no no they're the same they're pretty much the same at least that's what i see oh my gosh yeah. so how much is organic vanilla well you can only it's it's um per gallon it's about uh 250 to 60 oh gallon. my okay but remember, organic plant usually don't have that much different than non-organic. When you grow chicken in free range, they're different. I'm vegetarian, but people said that the meat is different, and I believe them. But the plant themselves, at the end of the day, if you feed the plant organic material or, or chemical, they still take it as it is. Oh. There's a lot of controversy stories about it that. It is, it yeah. is. It is. So from the baker's perspective, what can make vanilla cheaper for us to use? You know, the curing process and extracting process. If you insist of using vanilla extract, the baking industry should invest some funding in growing vanilla in greenhouses local. Interesting. That's a great suggestion. Local. Yeah. With control. It's not going to cost $25 because we don't have... Uh, labor here for a dollar a day, which should feel everyone bad when they use vanilla. Right, so it's going to be more expensive. It will be Green. more expensive, but we can... Uh, so some study they done in greenhouses in Holland, and now we started in Israel, that you can make it economic. It's still a good crop. It's a, it's a crop that needs knowledge, and you need to do the curing next to it. But if you use agrotech, everything has to be not, not labor. We can afford that. Right, labor. right. So my question is, if you use agrotech for vanilla, how is it going to pollinate? That we don't know yet. 
That's a farm animal. Unless we GMO that crop, right? No, no GMO here. No, no, that's a complicated one. When someone asks me, and, and people in the industry agree, where do you spend most of the money in vanilla? Right. It's in the drying process. Oh. Because you have to take the bean in the morning, spread them in the sun. If it's raining, you have to take them back. And every day, a person touch the bean a few times. Even if you pay people a dollar a day or two dollars a day, it's still a lot of work. And then you put it in and you put it and it's go like months and months. That's what most of the money. Pollination is uh, not the most expensive one because some people can pollinate a thousand a day, a thousand flowers a day. Wow. It's a short period of time, but you have to do it every day because the flower... So someone actually goes out there and pinch the pollinate. flowers? They just move something, yeah. Oh they my do goodness. it very fast, yeah. A thousand flowers a day. Yeah, some can do it. And, uh, oh my gosh. You only have a few hours to do it because um, the vanilla flower is not like regular orchid that lasts because it's developed to last. It lasts a day. Oh, my goodness. So you have to do it within a wow, day. Wow, the window of opportunity is so short. Yeah, and also you have to go through the plantation every day because uh, you have like a cluster like banana, but only fl- one flower will flower in that cluster. So the next day you can have another one. And, oh, my But you gosh. don't have to pollinate all of them. You can pollinate what you need. Well, we're working on um, plantation in greenhouse in Israel, and one of the things we want to do is to try to to find a pollinator. Now, in Mexico, I went there not long ago, that the first time that I saw a beehive of this pollinator, so someone showed us the natural plantation and the plantation that he does by hand. And when he does by hand, it's almost 100%. The natural one had only 30%. And... The bees, it's all around citrus. Of course, the bees will go to the citrus instead of to the vanilla. <laughs> vanilla flower doesn't have any smell. So, so but in a greenhouse, yeah. they don't have a choice. That's right. all what they can get. Right, so right. you can pollinate. So that really makes sense. The greenhouse aspect of growing vanilla, you know, would create better and more affordable vanilla. Or, or we can go to South America, some of the island, like we try in Puerto Rico, which you don't need greenhouses, you just need net houses. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah. you can do that. Uh, there's other, like Dominican Republic, Ecuador, there's other countries that are stable. They're not going to throw us out. And you just have to marry some of the farmers and start growing it there. And there is some beginning there too. Sounds good. So let's bring you onto this side of the spectrum in terms of vanilla applications, okay. regulations. You sit on some interesting committees. What are those? At the moment, sometimes uh, government agency ask me to evaluate certain things, but I wouldn't call it in, in committee. They want an opinion on certain things about uh, certain customer. So they call certain people and ask them to write a report of that. Uh, and we can talk about that. We talked about vanilla curing and farming. Let's bring you on to this side of the spectrum where you are regarded as a vanilla expert. What do you actually do for industry? We start with uh, production. So I uh, invited um, as a consultant to many countries, like I just was in uh, Uganda, Tanzania, and Kenya, and Holland and Israel, in Mexico, that's this year. So I basically give advice to people how to grow vanilla, how to cure vanilla. And sometimes if they get that far in short time, I help them to find a customer because I know all the people the that, all the fer- yeah. that extract vanilla. Right. 
some countries, some farmers, some organization already started and they have problems, and some of them are just want to start. So we basically, I even provide them with uh, healthy cutting, which I keep in the Radgas greenhouse. Nice. Because of the lack of knowledge done in country that they don't have support, they don't have USDA agent that come and help them. There is a disease that attack vanilla, and it's it's not man-made disease. It is spread by men, like many other diseases. Wow. And because we don't have a breeding program in vanilla, for many reasons, mostly because uh, it's expensive and no one stick to it, then we have to deal with disease that appears and it's scary that it can spread fast if we're not going to stop it. That's true. So if anyone has vanilla questions or, you know, origin and how to grow it, they can come to you and Absolutely. you can consult on that. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I have never met anyone who's so passionate into vanilla. Oh, you can come to one of the vanilla meetings. Everyone is passionate <laughs> Um, what are the things do you do here? I mean, you obviously are a flavor company. Okay, so we used to be mostly vanilla company, but because mm-hmm. of the crisis, we can buy vanilla and we can sell vanilla because we can. our customers are not going to pay for that prices. And remind our listeners, what was the crisis? Every few years, because of people that want to get into the business, they create crisis of shortage. And also because the farmers just don't get enough, but there's too many in between, and there's no sustainability. It's really unfair to the farmers. So, so this crisis, because the vanilla was so cheap, they created like, um, it's men, man-made men disaster. And it's complicated to talk in, in such a short time. But in the end of the day, the vanilla went up, and uh, we lost half of the business, and it will take years to get it back. Because uh, flavorists will only start using vanilla when they know it's stable. And there's so many, we call it vanilla replacement, but regulatory, we can use vanilla replacement. And that's make it another crisis we call labeling crisis. Because people tell me, you know, I have a family to feed and I have people that I need to pay salary. What we're going to do? Everyone thinks that we all will go back to normal and everyone will be honest about what they sell mm-hmm. when the crisis. We want to have good vanilla. Everyone wants to have good vanilla, but we can afford it. That's true. And that really forced your business model into offering other... No, I don't. Oh. I keep my principle. I okay. stick to my guns. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but uh, I, I don't criticize anyone anymore. <laughs> it's not so much what you use, it's what you call it. Right. Okay, so... You can use vanillin from natural sources in combination, but just tell the customer what it is. Don't call it vanilla. Okay. So there is a way to do it, but, uh, you know, as long as you tell the customer what they're eating, that's fine. But you can't call it one thing and mean something else. Right. So that's uh, that's the problem that we don't know how to solve unless the price will go down. That's true. But as Bacto flavors? We only deal with natural flavor just because they're fun to make. We have a line... Fun to make? Yes. I've never heard anyone <laughs> said natural flavors are fun to make. Yeah, but they, you did. They're more so, creative. No, yes. <laughs> okay. so, more challenging. <laughs> more challenging. So we have a line of... Uh, Natural flavor, most of them are in the fruit, and uh, I do have uh, other flavors we call American Indian flavor, like uh, uh, butter pecan, uh, butterscotch, caramel. Oh. Those are originated from England, but originally really? from India. Oh, wow. 
so we have other um, flavor houses that make it for us, and we sell it to to stores. We have stores online. We sell on Amazon, right. Walmart. We have our own store, and to bakery, to local bakery, far away bakery. Any, okay. it's mostly for baking, ice cream, and drinks. So we're looking for small company that don't need. A thousand gallons a month that only need a few gallons a month. That's awesome. So I have one more vanilla question. Since we were talking so much, I still have one more. What is the difference between artificial and natural vanilla? Do we label it that way? Yes. Or is it just vanilla? No, just no. Based on regulation, vanilla extract has to have vanilla in it. There okay. is other thing you can have like sugar, glycerin. Uh, water, alcohol, all this can be in the vanilla, but cannot have any other flavor in it. So vanilla extract has to have vanilla, water, and alcohol. So vanilla extract is 100% pure... It's extract, yeah. It's pure natural vanilla. Right, okay. it's, it's pure vanilla, it's, there's nothing else here. Then you have flavors that maybe resemble vanilla, and they sh- can be in, of a natural source, but they're not vanilla because they're not coming from vanilla. Oh, so, but they smell like vanilla. Smell like vanilla. And you can but, sell it like vanilla. But uh, because it's not coming from vanilla beans, <laughs> it became artificial, actually. Okay. Unless you call it something else. So, But even if you call it something else, if something smells like vanilla, tastes like vanilla, it can be either natural vanilla or it can be artificial. Okay. It can be in between, even that... When it's coming to food... We only advise the baking industry what, what we have, but they they responsible for the labeling. That's but true. There's all kind of gray area, like in any other law. That's true. Well, thank you so much for sharing your vanilla passion with me today. And we will attach your website below. So if anyone else is interested in learning about vanilla, they can contact you. Thank you, Daphne. You're welcome. Guess what we will be doing at our leavening bootcamp? We will go in-depth into leavening systems and the basics of cakes using natural flavors and colors. Join us here at the Portland Wheat Marketing Center and stay for the Clean Label Cake Seminar. Yes, where we eat our hearts out. Sign up today at bakerpedia.com forward slash academy. Up next, I will talk about natural colors with Tegan. Hi, today we have Taigun Basharan from Chef Master. Hi, Taigun. Hello, Lynn. How are you? Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. You are the VP of Sales at Chef Master with a PhD in Food Science and Chemistry. What do you do at Chef Master? Well, at Chef Master, I'm the head of Sales and R&D. We are a food coloring and a decorating company. You're synonymous with food coloring. How many years have you guys been in this business? We've been in it for 80 plus years. Wow. Wow. How has the natural trend changed things for you? I mean, that that make you guys do different things in in your company or... Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a big uh, pull from the marketplace for natural ingredients. And when it comes to color, we're delivering those natural pigments for different purposes. You are a color expert, so maybe you can share some of the secrets on some of the origins of natural colors. Well, if I may uh, start with going into how FDA works is there are 
nine certified food color additives approved by FDA. Uh, the things that we know as food dyes, like the blue two, yellow five, red 40. Mm-hmm. And these are dyes that are approved on a batch basis. Now, anything outside of that is considered an exempt color. And those are the pigments that come from uh, sources like vegetables, minerals, or animals. So natural colors fall into this exempt category, meaning they don't need to be certified by batch, like the synthetic ones. However, they're still subject to FDA's approvals. Now, where do they come from? Are some of them come from our everyday items like beets or carrots, or some of them come from algae like spirulina. Oh, wow. Okay. So algae would be like a green color. Algae actually is delivering the blue color. Really? That's yes, a very, very vibrant blue. We will make a green by using some other sources of yellow, That's depending true. on the application, so and we'll get... You have beets for the red, yeah. orange from carrot and turmeric, mm-hmm. blue from algae. We'll make a black from uh, with everything in the kitchen sink. <laughs> Uh, so we'll utilize all of them together. We'll, <laughs> really? I would think like maybe charcoal or something. I wish we could use charcoal. It is not approved in the U.S. <laughs> all right. Squid, squid like- ink is another one. It okay. makes a beautiful black, but it is not an FDA approved product. With the exception of pasta, it is not allowed for use. Oh, really? Wow. That's yes. interesting. I bet you it holds up to really high heat too. It certainly does. How about something like purple? That's the K-State school colors, by the way. Yes, it is. So we'll try to focus on your shade of purple. So uh, there are uh, some cabbage products or purple carrots that may help us get there, but it is not going to work on its own alone. We will utilize the help of maybe a blue source like spirulina or a red source like lycopene or even beets to somehow find a purple. Now, in the synthetic world, you may think that uh, blue and red make purple. When it comes to naturals, it's actually blue and pink that we found to make the more attractive shade of purple. How so very cool. I mean, that's why you have a PhD, right? You gotta like really understand these things. (laughs) Uh, It's a little bit of trial and error as well, which is Um, the issue, right? A lot of bakers ask, why do natural colors fade during thermal processing? Think of it this way. Broccoli. When you purchase broccoli, it's a nice, vibrant green. When you blanch it, it's a different shade of green. When you cook it in the oven, and if you cook it at a high temperature for a long time, you will lose that shade of green. Mm -hmm. In fact, that green may even turn into more of a brownish look. So... Nature has defined this. When you think of carrot and you bake a carrot, carrot, and let's be specific with an orange carrot, uh, perhaps, an orange carrot doesn't really change its color when you bake it. So an orange pigment coming from an orange carrot source is going to be more heat resistant than, let's say, a purple carrot. When you bake a purple carrot, it's going to change its purple nature a little bit. So nature has defined it for us. Wow. So I hate to get into the details, but what is it in orange that makes it so heat stable? And why can't that be done across board for all natural colors? It's the molecule itself. Okay. The molecule is 
changing uh, its structure. So uh, some of these molecules may have a protein base, a protein background. Yeah. Now, if they come from a protein background and you apply heat, it's going to denature. Correct. So it's going to turn into a completely different uh, molecule and lose its color. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So what other factors actually affect natural colors other than pH, for instance, would, uh, whether it's low pH or high pH, uh, would impact it. There are some uh, pigments that would yield a different color in a low pH and uh, convert to a completely different shade in a, a higher pH environment. Light is another factor that would impact color. Turmeric, very vibrant yellow. However, it fades. It just simply fades. If we formulate a green using you know, spirulina for blue and turmeric for yellow, and make a coated pretzel out of it and put it onto a shelf, it is going to fade over time. What is it going to be fading to? Uh, <laughs> it is going to fade into a more bluer or a green, a oh. darker green, and eventually if it stays there long enough to a blue color. Because yeah, that's green. not a good idea. It looks like a mold, does it? It will uh, be definitely a different shade. Well, what do you suggest and what can you recommend uh, for bakers who are interested in baking with natural colors to improve their color concentration? There's a lot of focus on natural pigments and they're improving their fun uh, functionality to become a broader spectrum of products, processes, and conditions. Today, they're not as versatile as their synthetic counterparts. Mm -hmm. As mentioned earlier, you know, to make a natural color we're utilizing a number of pigments and we're putting them into a finished system, make it easy for you know, the various folks to use it. Now, let's take buttercream icing, for instance. Mm -hmm. It contains very little amount of water mm -hmm. to deliver the texture that we have come to expect from a buttercream. Now, a buttercream manufacturer, pre-coloring it with a natural color system, does not want to introduce too much water into yeah. their... Uh, icing. So what do we do is we try to pack as much pigment as possible to it. But the strength of the pigments have been improving with time. For instance, uh, a shade of blue that we couldn't achieve four to six years ago, now we can achieve it. It's amazing. Yep. Yeah, and that's all natural? That is all natural. So is that an oil-based or a water-based color? Depending on the color, it can be both. So not all pigments are oil dispersible and not all, all pigments are water soluble. So we yeah. will uh, play with different pigments. So there go your limitations again. Yeah. Are there any other technologies out there that supports color extension or, you know, not losing color over shelf life? Mm -hmm. So, we need to introduce hurdles, and that's what the technologies are working on. The colors that fade or the colors that don't withstand a certain pH. Color manufacturers are working with where the source is coming from to see what natural remedies, natural hurdles that can be introduced to make the existing molecule become a little bit more heat resistant. So, for instance, many years ago, we were not able to make a red velvet uh, cake uh, by using red natural colors. Today, there's been some advancement in making a more heat-stable red 
to be able to make a red velvet cake. Now, Love it. Uh, since, since we have fellow bakers listening, I'd like to clarify that we may not be able to make a red velvet cake under all conditions. It may ah. be in certain conditions, the okay. time and temperature and the pH, and not all pigments may withstand their, their uh, processing conditions. So there is a bit of discussion that needs to take place for us to understand what kind of a cake they're making and can color industry help them achieve the color that they're looking for in the processing conditions that they have. Right. But I'm sure with time, the industry will crack the code and uh, will become more heat stable, more vibrant, mm-hmm. and uh, more light stable. Yeah, so let's start working on it. Well, it sounds to me like it is not an easy plug and play situation where you just take out one color and put in another one. It's probably going to be some reformulation on the pH side and probably a chemical leavening side. So it's, it sounds like a bigger project than it really is, right? Do you have a recipe for an all-natural unicorn cake? I can make a unicorn cake and design the icing for it, but we may not be able to bake with it because not all the elements that go into a rainbow are heat-stable at this point. So I wish I could say comfortably yes to a cake, but we can certainly decorate it. You know, that's my challenge. I was going to present one at a class, so I think I'm going to work with you on that. <laughs> Certainly. I'd be so happy like, to help you. What can we do to really push this class to really go all natural and everything in this particular unicorn cake? <laughs> That'll be a fun class to attend to. I think so. Well, is there anything else you want to share with bakers who are looking for solutions in baking with all natural colors? Any tips? The questions that we get from time to time is, hey, can you get me this color? Can it work here? Let's have an open conversation. Let's get into the formulations and the conditions to see if how we can tweak the application of the color. How uh, Can we help with the order of addition? Can we look into alternative uh, uses in the event that we're not able to use it in one of the thoughts that they had? Can we approach in a different way to find a way to deliver the product that they're looking for to their consumers, ultimately us. Great. So thank you for joining me today. And well, thank you very much for having me. I hope we can continue conversations on how to support the baking industry with natural Absolutely. Products. Let's have another update when the technology evolves. There you have it. One last note about natural colors. I am seeing more charcoal being used as a colorant in bakery products. Just a note of caution. FDA hasn't approved charcoal as a food ingredient as of this podcast. So let me just warn you, you will get a hefty fine. So please don't do that. All right. Hey, come to our leavening bootcamp to learn more about better and cake products. Then stay for the clean label growth hacking seminar. Sign up today at bakerpedia.com forward slash academy. Before I go, please like, comment, and subscribe to Baked in Science. Till the next episode, bakers, stay natural. Stay natural.